if women's lives were valued equal to men's, then women and girls would not be victim to these traumas at the rate that they are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mentors Podcast. I'm your host, Ava Wetrick. Here on this show, we talk to luminaries from around the world to discuss their journey towards success and what wisdom they have to offer the younger generation. Each episode, we have on a new guest, a new story, and a new path towards personal success. I hope you're ready, and I hope you enjoy. Melissa Kilby is the co-executive director of Girl Up, a leadership development program working to achieve gender equality for all girls everywhere. Melissa co-leads this initiative hosted by the UN Foundation that inspires, conveys, and trains and connects girls globally, helping to position them as leaders and change makers. Ever since joining in September 2011, Melissa has helped Girl Up raise over $15 million to support a robust girls leadership program and the work of Girl Up United Nations partners. Melissa works with corporations such as the Walt Disney Corporation, Caterpillar, Johnson & Johnson, Oath, and others, as well as managers in the grant making and investments to the UN agencies including UNICEF, UNHCR, UNFPA, and UN Women. She has traveled to Guatemala, Ethiopia, Malawi, and India to meet girls directly benefiting from the fundraising efforts of Girl Up supporters. Under Melissa's leadership, Girl Up has grown into a global gender equality movement of more than 700,000 supporters and impacted the lives of more than 65,000 girls around the world. I found this conversation to be an enlightening one, and I was really curious about the concept of global female equality and had a lot of questions around cultural differences. Melissa helped me find a new perspective and had a lot of stories to share. So without further ado, Melissa Kilby. Hi, Ava. Hi, Melissa. Wait, does everyone... Oh, and do you have your uh, video on? You don't have to. Okay. I want to... Okay, there we go. I just want to know who I'm jumping uh, back and forth between. Sometimes it's a little troubling. Sometimes it's a little difficult to tell. I was just, uh, I was just talking about, well, not talk. I wasn't talking about the summit, but I was learning about the summit. I really enjoy, ever since I got into the UN stuff a couple years ago, I've always enjoyed just kind of just watching all the UN stuff unfold. I was supposed to go to New York um, for the, for another UN summit this spring, but it got canceled because of Corona. I was really upset. So is it, is it all your summits virtual right now? Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you were chatting with Rakendra before I jumped on, but yeah, we pretty much moved. Um, this is Melissa. We pretty much moved everything online um, since since April. So, uh, but it's been really exciting. We have over ten thousand people registered for our summit next week, and we usually have about four hundred and fifty. So it's a big, big opportunity to pull in a global audience. Whoa, yeah. Actually, what else is um, Girl Up up to right now? Because I was doing a lot of research and a lot of it was like past events. A lot of mm-hmm. your publications were in 2018. So I'm really curious about what you guys are up to in 2020. Yeah. Oh, hang on. I got a speaker talking to me over here. Oh, you're good. You're good. Yeah. You're good. So right now we're in the middle of um, it is like crunch time. We have our big leadership summit next week. And then um, and then we did a really great um, virtual like content series of conversations um, in April and May on like equality in sports and gender equality overall and storytelling and how, um, you know, women as storytellers, but also women, you know, represented 
in the media. Um, so kind of covered a lot of different conversations and we're, we're thinking through, you know, how we want to pick that series back up this fall, um, as yeah. well as our 10th anniversary is at the end of September. So it's a really, that's going to be a really exciting time as we go into International Day of the Girl in October. So it's going to be a busy fall. Oh, wait, that's awesome. You know, any, any way that I can support, I'd love to help out. Uh, my college campus does not really have anything UN related to it. Um, so I, like, again, I, I've become so busy with some of my other projects. It might be hard to start a whole UN or UNA chapter there, but just, uh, if there's any way college students can establish something with Girl Up or spread the word, even your guys' merchandise is really nice. I was checking out your guys' t-shirts and I was like, this is kind of killer. <laughs> I love the, <laughs> I love the one that looks like kind of like the thank you t-shirts. Yeah. Uh, that one was like my favorite design. I love nice. that. We'll let, we'll let our designer know. She puts a lot of thought into those t-shirts. So, oh my gosh, well, she kills it. Yeah. And you know, when you're talking about um, storytelling and stories, I was really fascinated by a lot of your guys' stories. Um, two that really, uh, well, one especially that really stood out was uh, the bicycles, being able for a lot of these young girls to, uh, to be able to bike 10 or 20 miles in order to go get their education. Has there been any um, new empowerment stories that Girl Up has been able to participate in? Yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been really interesting. Our, our last school cycle came, campaign was a couple years ago, um, but that was an incredibly powerful, I think, fundraising, call to action for our girls, very tangible. Um, I think a lot of our stories recently, you know, really come from the activism of the girls. We've grown globally. And so there are Girl Up Clubs in more than 120 countries now. And so you start to get a real unique variety um, of the kind of grassroots um, actions that girls are taking. So, you know, whether it's someone who's fighting a uh, dress code policy that is biased and discriminatory to girls, or, you know, women, girls and women who are um, advocating and working to provide um, menstrual hygiene products and, you know, really taking that issue on. It's, it's been really interesting to see. I was was in Uganda earlier this year and I got to meet with a bunch of our girl up clubs and a lot of the clubs um, that have started in Uganda are, you know, they're doing crafts and selling products to raise money. And then they're using that money to support like local women's shelters and other organizations where they can donate menstrual products. And so I love that example because that's such a universal thing to, you know, having a vagina and being a woman and being a menstruator. Um, or being a non-woman and being a menstruator is that that is something that, you know, your, your circumstance and your access to resources can really um, preclude you from advancing if you don't have access to those, to those menstrual products. And so it's one of those really great universal um, kind of actions that our girls take, whether it's in Seattle or in Uganda. Um, so I love that. But yeah, I think it's been really interesting to just see how, um, Girl Up has evolved so much because of the individual girls and the, the actions and the things that they decide to tackle. Um, and, you know, we do a lot of things across the whole organization. Um, you know, we had started a petition earlier this year as part of our Sports for a Purpose campaign um, around holding the International Olympic Committee to the gender standards that they said they were going to meet. And so we we worked on a petition and we really started to push that out to really hold them to do the things they said they were going to do 
for what was supposed to be the 2020 Summer Olympics, which obviously, you know, has gotten postponed, but we're still really pushing that advocacy forward. So there's a lot of things that we'll do kind of on a global or national level, but then really where the magic um, and the impact of Girl Up, it really comes from the individual girls who do, who do this work and take these actions like in the spirit of Girl Up. And that's where the beauty is. Yeah, and you, definitely. You know, when I was doing research on you guys, I decided to reach out to a lot of my friends who are really curiously minded and who have a lot of uh, ideas and questions about, uh, you know, women's rights and gender equality. And something that really that came up, especially when it came to third world countries, was that perspective shift. And there's two ways that uh, we thought about it, you know you have, you know, when you're in third world countries, like you've been to a lot of them, is there, you know, is it, is this, uh, is it normalized? Is this, you know, inequality normalized? Do these young women recognize that they have unequal rights or do they already recognize it and they're pushing and they're advocating? And then equally, and we can get into this other subject of perspective, but, you know, from what you've seen culturally, um, you, you know, is it, is a lot of this gender equality tolerated amongst women? Yeah, I think those are both really great questions. And what I have found to be one of the most profound takeaways from my, you know, from the traveling that I've been able to do to to developing countries, just to the conversations that I have with girls here in the U.S. or in the United Kingdom or in, you know, affluent communities in Brazil, you know, or, or sort of where there are resources, is that there is no place in the world where girls and women are equal, period. So our levels of inequality definitely differ. And I think the way that it, um, that it actually manifests in our day-to-day experience do vary. But you and I are not equal to men here in the US. We still have gender discrimination, we still have pay gaps. And obviously when you factor in race, disabilities, you know, sexual orientation, you start to see those gaps widen, but even for you know, me as a, as a white, female, straight, heteronormative, middle-class, college-educated female in the United States, I'm still not equal. So I think that's been really interesting to just really have the, to be able to see that firsthand. And what I find in, um, in some of the places that I've visited, you know, where, where you would consider that to be a developing country, there, there is just as much passion and advocacy and fighting for equality as, as I have in my body today for myself, for my daughter, you know? And I think that what has been really exciting to see, and I would say, you know, has evolved over even my nine years with, um, with Girl Up is that with social media, with our smartphones, because smartphones are in every corner of the world, you know, girls are, are consuming media, are joining Girl Up, are learning about Girl Up. They might not have a computer, but they might have a smartphone. And so they're, they're seeing what's possible. You know, that whole idea, if you can see it, you can be it. And a couple decades, it might have taken a development worker or somebody to come into their village or community for them to actually see a female you know, role model in this kind of, kind of position, but now there's just more global awareness um, of what you can aspire to be, who you can aspire to be, even if that's your female teacher, um, you know, there's that aspiration. And I think with aspiration comes passion and advocacy. So I think, you know, to, to the first part of that question, there's just as much 
energy and passion for equality um, in places you would maybe be surprised, but there's also a lot of gratitude and joy for what they do have um, that I think sometimes we um, who are surrounded by so much and have access to so many resources can really learn from, um, from a place of being grateful for what we have and what we have access to. Yeah, that's incredible. You know, the fact that everyone does, so many people have the access to see what is possible and see the potential, especially within their own countries, um, with their own communities, really sets my heart ablaze. Like, um, uh, female rights, female equality is something that I strive heavily for, something that I adore, especially when it comes to you know, the inequalities that do exist and just wanting to, how do I phrase it? Like, not not like fix them, but you know, you amend them, you help them grow and you help build up. The thing is, is like when it comes to that perspective shift, so if you have the world uh, seeing the potential and the possibility, you also have the counterpart. You also have you know, men seeing these things, men seeing women progress. And you know, when it comes to movements, especially social movements, a big shift is always perspective. So when it comes to Girl Up, you know, you have women supporting women, which is fantastic. Uh, do you also have a component, or have you also seen men come along and you know allow themselves to shift their own perspective on um, female rights and female equality? Yeah, I think that's that's a really interesting question. And I think it's one that has evolved a lot with Girl Up over the years. You know, first few years of Girl Up, many of the girls who joined clubs really were craving that that safe space, that girls only space to really be able to have conversations about what they wanted, what the challenges were that they were seeing, what they wanted to do um, with their activism. And I think really even of late in the last couple of years, you've really, I've really seen our Girl Up leaders really have the desire to invite boys into that conversation, to, to, to have different conversations with their own fathers, honestly. Um, and there is a real awareness that I think is more recent in the fact that like, we can't just talk to each other as girls and women because we need partnership. Um, we need we need to have those partners in the boys and men who will you know can can actually sometimes help remove the barriers and if not can certainly be champions and cheerleaders and supporters and I think you know it's been really it's been really amazing even in some of my some of the traveling that I've done outside of the U.S. where you see fathers just very very passionate about wanting their daughters to have equal opportunity. And, and I think that has shifted. Um, we obviously can't wait for every man with a daughter to care. Like that won't get us there. Um, but I think even some of that evolution has changed. And I think that um, so many of the empowerment messages and mainstream media and even brands and advertising and spokespeople and young women like Malala, you know, who are these global role models, they are actually changing their perspective. I think where you where you sometimes will find maybe pushback or um, skepticism is when it's about a man actually you know using their privilege to bring a bring a woman up you know if it's if it's like I might lose my power for you to gain yours I think that's where we still have work to do but. Um, Overall, I do think I have seen a perspective change. It's glacial, but it's changing. And I think even if girls have that champion and their fathers at least 
you know, they're not fighting within their own family to be valued. And, and if that's part of the progress, then that's something to celebrate. Yeah. Is that, you know, when you're talking about giving up power, does that come in the context of legality? Um, is it like a, do men kind of see it as like a legal problem of like, oh, I have to sacrifice uh, what I have for women or, you know, what, or is it more of like a social context for them? It's both, you know, I mm. think when there are, there, there's of course all the policies that can be changed, but it's when it actually goes into practice. And, you know, when you look at, you know, say you look at like the number of women in Congress as an example, there's 24, 24% right now, I think is like the current, the current statistic, or maybe it's 33 now. I don't know. I get them confused, but like a very small percentage. We're not close to half. To be at half, that would mean less men in Congress. So when you look at the math and we're striving for equal, we're not striving for the majority, we're striving for equal representation. That means that there will be men who will lose their seats, which means they will lose power as an individual man, but then also as a majority. And I think that that is where you start to, start to see the hesitation, the sort of saying one thing, but doing another, um, that I think is just part of the evolution of this equality conversation is that sometimes in order to reach equality, someone is going to have to give up something. Um, and to get men to understand that they would benefit from that is really the key, you know, because it's like, personally, I might not be in power, but is, would my life be improved if there were women, more women making decisions about what happened in my family, you know, with childcare, with my, my wife's, you know, pay. You know, there's a lot of ways that equality actually benefits men too. And if we can get them to understand that, then, then hopefully the individual, you know, ability to, to wield decisions becomes less of the driver. But I think that's a place where we still have work to do. Oh yeah. You know, something that uh, Jalen Boone was talking to me about, he was like, you wouldn't really think about it, but women's rights and gender equality is, uh, is an area of focus that we like to put on a pedestal and we like to talk about. But honestly, he's like, there hasn't been much work being done. He's like the only, he's like a lot of the work, like the real work and the real results that I can point you to is Girl Up and some other organizations. He said a lot of times, uh, you know, companies or people say like, yeah, you, you know, this, this does matter, but they don't necessarily show it. Um, something really interesting that you kind of mentioned was this idea of, how do I phrase it? Uh, not the, you know, this idea of, I can't, I can't phrase it. I'm trying to think of what you said, because you said it a little farther back. It was something about, um, having the perspectives matter. Women's mm -hmm. perspectives, you know, do absolutely matter. Gen Z as a whole, um, Gen Z as a whole, we do respect a lot of people's perspectives because we know that there's benefit to it, to an individual experience than applying it, not to the whole, but understanding that this could be a possibility. This person's life does make sense in a way. So we have to take a lot of people into account. Um, something also really interesting that I was thinking about as you were talking was, um, the idea of that push forward. So like a huge example is women's suffrage. A lot of people wouldn't see this in history, but women's suffrage wasn't, it wasn't the majority of women going after it. It was a small group of women that said, hey, we want equal rights. And a lot of women took a step back and they're like, you know, we're terrified of equal rights. Like we, you know, we don't want to be, because at the time it was being drafted and also meant um, 
bucket duty, I believe. Uh, so they're like, you know, we don't want equality because we don't want to put on all these other things. So a lot of women shied back. In your pursuit of um, equality and what you've seen around the world, are, these, are there unintended consequences? Are there other factors that we wouldn't really think about that you and other women have to fight against in order to um, find that balance? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's always like, there's always the the sort of underbelly of it, right? Like what's what's the unexpected, uh, the unexpected consequence? And, you know, it's been really interesting to actually see during um, this, during this pandemic, coronavirus pandemic, you know, we, like I'm a working mom and my mom was worked and, you know, I went to daycare and I got, I had this role model of a working mom, but it was only, it wasn't that many decades ago where most families had a single, you know, single breadwinner family. And so if a global pandemic came around, you would still have a caretaker at home. Well, we've been fighting to be equal in the workplace, to be able to be something, you know, more than a mom, to be able to contribute to society, to want to see female CEOs, female elected officials, because we know that that's really going to benefit society as a whole but we haven't built really the infrastructure to support that. And when we all had to come home and our kids were at home and schools closed, what did that do to women who were now working? And, you know, executive women, women who are our doctors, our lawyers, our scientists lead, lead global movements like I do. It's like who actually takes care of the kids then and who actually takes care of the house and, um, I think it just highlights that like we've pushed for a lot of equality and we've pushed for um, forward, right? That push forward, but we don't really have the support systems that fully support an equal, an equal society. And when, when one piece of the puzzle, the, you know, the Jenga tower comes out, the whole thing crumbles. And so I think it really exposed the need um, for, for more, for more systemic, systematic support of women, um, who, you know, we have proven that society is better with women contributing in all aspects, but the society isn't fully supported, supporting that structure. So I think that's a really, it's been a really interesting, um, unintended consequence, if you will, of women being at work, because when, when something changes, then, then where are we? Yeah, like, I'm really curious on um, how you mean by systemic. So do you mean like, you know, again, like 50s, 60s example, you know, it's the men that's a breadwinner. It's the man, it's the men, the man that's the better breadwinner, the men that that are the breadwinners, or, you know, and it's the woman who has to stay home and take care of the child because taking care of a kid is a full-time job. Like, goodness sakes, I have no idea how my mom did it. Like being a part-time nurse and also taking care of like me as a baby, I screamed and I kicked like goodness gracious, you know? uh, So do you look at that example and that's the idea of being systemic and having, and you know, kind of being a mom can hold some women back from their careers or are we looking at like, uh, are we looking at the legality of these situations? Well, I think when you look at um, paid leave, when you look at child care policies, when you look at federal government support for daycares, for, you know, the systems that support a two, a two you know, a two-headed household where both, both parents are working. And, you know, you've got, it's not just a mom and a dad. Sometimes it's two moms, two dads, three generations, you know, it sort of can, can take the shape of any, any family form. But, you know, when, when you need sick, 
sick leave, when you need a working, you know, a living wage and not to have to work three jobs, when you need to know that your job will be there after you give birth and go back to work, how long are you expected to be home, you know, after, how long can you be at home before you're expected to go back to work, and that's where the policies come into play, but I also think we're still in the evolution of gender norms. And so there's still an evolution of like the stay at home dad or the two working parents, or, you know, my kids go to daycare and the women who take care of my kids are some of the most important people to me in the world because they are with my kids when I am not. But I also like, that's exactly what I knew it would be. And that's how I decided to be a mom. And that's, that's the right thing for me. I tested that out while I was home and I know very well that like they are better off with um, caretakers who want to do that for a living. But I of course want to make sure that those caretakers are paid well, that they're happy that they're, that their kids are taken care of. And so I think there's a lot of layers to it, but it's just, it's an interesting, um, like you said, outcome of equality is that you are now adding in more levels of, um, not complications, but more more things to figure out. And if society as a whole isn't in that fight with you, it can be very lonely sometimes as a working mom. Yeah, actually, that's a idea that I haven't really uh, even heard, but you know, uh, that I've never really even heard people bring up too much is the idea of, well, yeah, like people support mothers, but you know, what's past that? Past that is, you know, that paid or unpaid leave because of pregnancy, then I have to take care of these, um, these kids, but I also need to send them off to daycare because I have to go to back to work at a certain time. And right now I'm studying business law and um, we're going through like discriminatory law right now. So just like, hey, you know, you can't not hire someone because they're pregnant essentially. Um, and, you know, when we were looking at medical leave and, or, you know, medical leaves and that was paid or unpaid and what the company policy allowed, I was like, man, you know, some, some of these ideals do not really help, uh, pregnant women, especially if they have to take care of their kid for a longer term, like a longer time that, and I've talked to some friends in the past and, um, one of my friends said, well, you know, if, if, you know, if the company doesn't need, uh, if, if a woman goes off and she's pregnant and she leaves the company for six months to take care of their baby, and if the company functions without her, then they don't need her. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. So because she left for six months to have a baby, she doesn't get to have a job because the company doesn't necessarily need her to be there? Oh my goodness. And like, that was like a whole radical perspective. So you do bring up something really cool. And, you know, as a whole, as a whole, there are so many layers to it, especially interpersonal. Um, something that I was contemplating when I was researching you and your work was the, you know, was the internal things that these women go through. Um, on your website, like one of the like the top three things that are talked about um, uh, was like child marriage, um, sexual violence or violence against women, and then um, oh, what was the third aspect? I'm blanking on the third aspect. But yeah, there's, essentially there's a lot of um, traumas and, and trials that women had to go through specifically because they're women. And, you know, when you go to these areas and you see a lot of these bad things that happen to women there, um, how do you help them get through those things internally and then, you know, overcome that oppression, especially in terms of um, helping them develop self-confidence and leadership while in their past they've gone through some really, really horrible actions. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, that's the real, that's the challenge of all of this is that, um, you know, there's, there's, 
there's no authority that sort of I have as as a part of Girl Up or that any of us have. It's it's really about what's happening on the ground in the community, in the community, what is the support system? What is the legal ramifications for this? You know, who are the people that girls and women can turn to in times of trauma? And I will say like, this is universal. You know, the, the sexual violence um, statistics are, are universal to the world. There is nothing about your economic status, your geography, your religion that like, protects you from being, you know, being potentially victim um, to gender-based violence. And so it's, it's about how are our communities, first of all, trying, working to prevent that trauma from the beginning, but then also how are we prioritizing and supporting survivors so that this, this moment, these instances of trauma aren't debilitating to the point that their empowerment is is sort of you know reversed and that they they don't actually feel like they can you know push forward and i think the programs that we support through our un partners and the work that our girl up leaders do you know to to advocate for policies that are enforced and for um shifts in societal norms that don't value girls and women's lives that is one of the greatest things that leads to sexual violence and whether that's early early enforced marriage and child marriage if it's trafficking if it's rape if it's you know all of these things is that if women's lives were valued equal to men's then women and girls would not be victim to these traumas at the rate that they are and so a big part of prevention is shifting that perspective on the fact that girls and women's lives are valuable. And I think that that's where you see so much important work happening. That's where I think Girl Up really can, is making a difference. When you have young women who are educated, passionate, informed, who are out using their voices, using their platforms around the world and, and, and demanding to be valued, that is where you really start to see um, that shift and those norms shift. Because if you are a valuable person to me, I will protect you. If you are a valuable person to me, I will not harm you. And so I think, you know, there's a lot to that. Um, and then it's also just about making sure that that the opportunities don't disappear once, you know, a trauma or a, a conflict or a, you know, an, a, a discrimination has occurred. Um, that survivors and, and young girls and women have the opportunity to keep striving for their dreams. And so, you know, we obviously support our, our UN partners with, you know, our fundraising efforts. And then we are also working to, to strengthen those policies everywhere we have Girl Up leaders. But I think it's the combination of the two. It's the policy and enforcement of the policy, but it's the value of the girls and women. Yeah, you know, and just having that self-value and saying, hey, like, I, you know, I am worthy of these rights and I am worthy, you, you know, of, of just being a human being that has, you know, I think 32 human rights. I, you know, I'm entitled to all of these and I deserve all of these. How do you um, allow women to open up to that idea, right? So when you take young women and they're like, hey, like, we want to be valued, like we want this equality, how do you um, instill them with all these leadership abilities and all this self-confidence in order to take charge and in order to seek out what they want? Yeah, I've always I've always said, and the thing that I love about Girl Up and the way that we that we work with with young women and and young leaders, 
is that they get to lead the day that they show up. The day they sign up, they have the opportunity to start leading that in that moment. And in my experience, personally, but also in what I have seen from our girl leaders, is the minute that you are leading and that you recognize that you are leading, even if you don't know what you're doing, but you're still doing it, then you see yourself as a leader and you then can continue to lead and you start to gain confidence in the value of your voice. If you can get someone to change their mind, if you can get someone to follow your idea, to help you achieve a goal that you've set, to get your vision enacted into a reality, and you can see your own role in that as leading, that changes who you see yourself as. I I like to say that once you see yourself as a leader, you will always be a leader and you will have confidence in your ability to lead. And that's just a place to build from. And I think that has been, you know, one of the most trans transformative experiences of our grow up leaders is that they're, they jump right in, they start leading, we give them tools, but we don't prescribe or instruct. It's really up to the girl, what she wants to tackle, how she wants to do it, who she wants to bring along with her and what impact she wants to make, which means she's making key leadership decisions right away. And the minute she has confidence in those decisions, then that's how she will always see herself. Yeah. Oh my, that's just my heart on fire. Like I, I love the idea. I, I've, I've always loved the idea of women in leadership and the fact that they can take so much initiative and then you give them that permission, you, you know, cause like handholding needs to be done sometimes. Like I need the handholding if I don't know what I'm doing. Like I would like to be directed in some way or another, but the fact that they don't even need the handholding and they're going out and they're striving and they're building and they're being their own leaders is fantastic. And um, doing research on you, I digged back into your elementary school years, even in your middle school years. And you know, you were criticized as a child for being bossy. And I have been there too. Like, I remember I was called bossy all the time when I was little. And then um, I, my, one of my friends had a graduation party and elementary school teachers they had were there at these parties. And my dad was talking to them about what I was up to. And they said, oh, we always knew Ava had such great leadership abilities. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> like, where does this come into play? What do you mean? I thought I was bossy and rude. So, you know, you just, I just had a sheer curiosity. Um, when, when young women used to be called bossy, why is that? Like, why are, women, why are young women, especially little girls, originally called bossy? And how does that develop into leadership skills? You know, what's amazing is that my um, three and a half year old has already been called bossy. If that makes you you feel anything, of course, that struck a a very deep nerve um, with me. But I mean, now I can embrace it. I think when I when I was when when it was those in those moments and in that, you know, growth time as as a young as a young girl and kind of coming into my own, um, I couldn't help myself like if there was something that needed to be organized or nobody was taking charge or like it was chaos, like somebody had to do it and nobody else was doing it. So I did it. And like that has proven me incredibly well because now I am a boss, right? Like I, I am a leader. And I think that that is, there are aspects of that that can be innate in just who you are and what your personality is. And I think that what I would love to see is us celebrate the aspects of what we, when we say bossy, what do we mean? What you're telling people what to do, but do they need to be told what to do? 
Is there confusion? Do we need clarity? Are you offering clarification even if you're free and your friends don't know what to do so you just tell them what to do? Um, but like we all look for leaders. And even when I was 8, 10, 12 being called bossy, people were still following me. Like I was giving direction and they were listening. They were just labeling it as something negative. And I think that boys are not called bossy. You know, so this is where this is where those those gender norms and those those perceptions of value of like if I'm young and I'm telling you what to do and I'm outspoken and I'm loud and I'm smart and I'm confident, for some reason that's bad. But if a boy is telling people what to do and he's loud and he's outspoken and he's confident, well, he's leading. It's like, no, we're both leading, but you have a perception on how I'm supposed to lead or not versus what is just innately in who I am. And I think there's a lot of people that develop leadership skills later because they don't want to be called bossy, because they don't want to be called out in a negative way for stepping up. And so, you know, maybe they, they, they avoid that. And I think that's incredibly, um, that's incredibly sad and disappointing because if we didn't have a negative connotation of what it means to be a female leader, even as a young girl, um, how many more girls would step up and speak up and sort of join in the conversation and, and help to direct and share what they know with their peers. Um, I'm not even sure if I answered your question, but that's my reflection. On yeah, no, no, no. I think and it's a bit awesome. of bossy. No, I love it. I love it so much. Like in the fact, and because again, like sometimes it depends because um, like, my sister does a lot of uh, activities and in one such activity there is a girl who thinks that she's a leader but she's actually quite mean <laughs> you know so yeah. it's like there is a line between there's a difference yeah and i liked your definition i liked your definition of competency of like hey is there confusion is like is your child trying to clarify what's happening and trying to help people along and tell them what to do because they don't know what's happening mm-hmm. that's called leadership like they're being a leader they're not being mean or rude or pushing other kids around they're genuinely wanting to help and wanting to speak up and be that leader and you know when you were talking about uh you, just the cultural idea of femininity i just kind of started to think about uh, all you know, all cultures and how feminism has kind of ta- has waved out in a lot of ways. And you know, you've you're this fantastic world traveler. Um, what sort of different types of feminism have you seen? You know, does England do, does England does it differently than America? Like, is it represented different in um, like China than it would be in Brazil? And if so, what have you what have been your biggest takeaways from these other countries? And said, wow, like that's a really powerful approach. That's a really great question. I mean, I think I think feminism is such a is such a special word (laughs) in that people interpret feminism so differently. And that can be individually, that can be culturally, that can be geographically, um, you know, that can even be, you know, from, from different identities that we bring to the idea of feminism. Um, you know, when I think of the word feminism, when I grew up, I thought of my mom. She was like this working woman who traveled and had her job that she loved. And like, in my mind, that's what being a feminist was. And then, you know, of course, then you start to see yourself potentially as a feminist, depending on your, depending on your definition of it. But then you also start to understand that other people define feminism differently, and, um, and that there's a, a lot of people who have a lot of feelings about this. It can be very much based on generation, you know, based on geography. And I think that what is, 
what I, what I have learned and I think what I take away from seeing the feminist movement to seeing feminists and seeing the idea of feminism is that there are core, the core value, the core tenant is the value of, of being a woman and that there is value in being a woman. And so whether you think that that means that we should be equal, whether you really don't like men, whether you think that there are levels of inequality within feminism, and whether you've experienced those, at the end of the day, the universal feeling is that women are valuable and should be valued. And how you fight or advocate or quietly work behind the scenes to increase that value and to increase the perception of that value and the realization of that value can look a lot of different ways. And so I would say that's kind of been my just overall learning is there is not one way to be feminist, to be a feminist or to embrace feminism. There are many, many ways, but at the end of the day, if you believe in the value of, of women, of girls, of our ability, of our opportunity, then that's my definition of feminism. Oh, absolutely. And like when it comes to, you know, when it comes to the value of women there, I've seen, I've seen just culturally, just in America, there's this um, really interesting dichotomy between um, like a cultural difference and then inequality. So, you know, when you look at other countries and you say, oh, well, this is just a cultural difference of theirs for women to be treated in XYZ way or for women to act or be in XYZ position. Oh, that's just a, you know, that's just a cultural difference we have rather than, oh, that's inequality. So, you know, like, do we draw a line between a like a cultural difference and a cultural inequality? Is that something we don't, you know, we don't touch or do we even draw the lines in the first place? How do you handle uh, that, that teetering line? Yeah, I think that's one of the first things I really started to unpack when I, when I joined Girl Up a long time ago um, was trying to understand like I'm not I'm not from this culture I, I have my own experience I, I didn't live here I'm not in I'm not from within this community who am I to say that a cultural practice is either harmful or helpful or right or wrong or equal or unequal and and it was a question like that I really reflected on as I as I learned more and especially as I got to travel and, and experience some of some of the different communities. And I think that where I landed and, and my perspective on this is that culture is always evolving. Think let me look at our culture in America, like look at where we started as a country. Look at the current conversations that we're having. We're in the middle of a, a cultural evolution, of a revolution, right? Hopefully. Um, even right here in the U.S. And so my perspective is that culture is always evolving and should always evolve. And with awareness and education and understanding and empathy um, and respect and um, appreciation, are, we should be able to evolve so that things that were maybe culturally acceptable or celebrated but were not equal, does it mean that you have to have like a black and white, right or wrong, evolved or not. It just means there's room for evolution. And that any community that can embrace the idea of evolving towards equality is really where I, I, I try to think of that. I mean, there are, there are absolutely things that are just wrong. 
and you can't hide behind tradition when there is when it is like a clear line in the sand but there's a lot of things that it's also up to the individual person the individual woman like you still get to make choices even if the choices you make don't feel equal to someone else that's the whole idea of having um of being able to to have agency over yourself i don't have to agree with you i don't have to understand it but if you get to make that decision for yourself that's an aspect of equality and so i think that there's there's a lot of room in within culture and within our cultural understanding to be more understanding, to be more open and to not, you know, put our own, put our own position, but also to celebrate, to celebrate growth, to celebrate evolving and to celebrate progress. Yeah. I, you know, I love your, I love your perspective on that. You know, um, that's something that I didn't necessarily, necessarily think about is the idea that cultures always evolve. Like America 60, 70, 80, 90 years ago is not the America that I know today. Even my parents or my household is not the same that it used to be. The household, the culture of my household has evolved immensely, uh, you know, while I grew up. So the fact that you kind of took that to heart and said, hey, you know, it's like tradition can't be an answer for everything. And even though culture does something a certain way, you know, like they're going to grow and become something else. So not allowing things to be stagnant, but also allowing uh, for culture to fluctuate in its own way with the choices of hopefully the men and the women in those situations on their own, on their own accord, uh, does make a lot of sense. And it leaves a lot, it leaves a lot of room for a lot of potential growth that we might not even have to think about or have to um, enforce. Because as much as I love America, I think sometimes we have a very strict idea of what we would like for everyone else to do. So the fact that you leave it for a lot of interpretation while also leaving um, autonomy for each person would, would be really cool because, you know, other countries can flourish in a, a thousand different ways. Melissa, it has been so cool talking to you. Uh, a lot of these questions I was just severely curious about and wanted to sit down and talk to, honestly, like a true expert in the, in the field and the subject. And seriously, when it comes to Girl Up, I adored, uh, you know, looking through all the webs, everything the website does, looking through all their projects and what they're up to. They have some amazing stories. So um, besides looking up, looking you up at the Girl Up website, where can everyone find you and Girl Up's work? Um, so my, uh, my, all of my social handles, if you want um, leaders, or pictures of adorable children. I am um, at Melissa Girl Up um, on Instagram and at Melissa Girl Up on Twitter, but I do a lot more um, Insta posting than I do tweeting. <laughs> not, as, not as active on Twitter. Um, but also, you know, really the Girl Up website is where you get to see this work in action. You know, look at the stories section, be inspired by the girls who are doing this work. Um, it is my tremendous privilege to, you know, ensure that our platform is as strong as possible, um, can be as large as it can be so that we can really bring every girl who wants to be a part of this movement into the work. Um, but I really see my role as, as being, being someone who works with, with the team to make sure that platform is there because I believe that that is how we change public perception, that that is how we we get the community support and buy-in to change policies, to enforce policies, and to make sure that every girl everywhere has the agency to determine her own future and has the opportunity to, to reach it. And so I think it's, it's truly in elevating the voices and stories of girls and women so that we all value them. 
Absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. And like, Melissa, thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me, Ava. (laughs) Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this interview series. I would love to know some of your best takeaways. You can find me easily on LinkedIn or Instagram just by searching Ava Wetrick, and I'll happily get back to you and have a conversation. If you really enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a rating in iTunes. That act will compound in ways that I can't even imagine. As you have just found a mentor here, go out into the world and see who you can be a mentor to today.